welcome back to another episode of CQP Moments. As always, I am your host, the Coupon Queen Pen. Guys, I have an amazing guest today by the name of Michael Bryan, and he's going to talk to us not only about surviving, but thriving. So let's take a moment out for our sponsors, and I'll be right back with Michael. So guys, like I was saying, I have Michael McDonald and guys, he has an awesome journey and he's going to tell us how that affected him during COVID. But before we get to all of that, Michael, would you please introduce yourself to my listeners? Well, I'm a business owner, entrepreneur, speaker, and soon to be author. So I've spent a lot of my time from a particular moment whereby I felt this level of responsibility, I guess, which we're going to get to later on, whereby I kind of owed it to the people that looked up to me to a certain degree or got a lot of value from, I guess, the start of my journey to keep living in a way that meant that they could keep, I guess, feeling the sense of permission for them to live their best life as well. So I've been doing that for a few years now. And that's where sort of the whole journey comes to a a head at this moment. Okay, now you said people were looking up to you. Why were they looking up to you? Well, one of the first businesses that I actually had was a personal training business, which did really well. You know, I was able to pay off my bills and live a particular way and keep myself fit and healthy, which was handy because I actually have two health conditions. So I've got cystic fibrosis, which affects my lungs and my digestive system, and I'm also diabetic. But I spent a lot of my time not so much hiding those things, but not wanting to be treated differently because of those things. So everything from sports at university to becoming a personal trainer, I wanted to have the same playing field, if you will, as everybody else. But it was when my clients started to realize that I did have these conditions and how they would impact me if I didn't do the things that I did, they then started to feel like their excuses were no longer important or they come to me with little things and they realized that they were all just excuses and they got better results because of like my conditions still allowing me to do what it is I'm doing because I don't have the same struggles as them you know I don't have the same issues as them right the position that I was in so that that's where it all started to happen whereby me just being me was enough to help people, which was a bit of a bit of a weird moment just in itself. Okay, so you keep talking about being a personal trainer. I mean, I knew you were an entrepreneur. What made you decide to be a personal trainer? Was it because of the diabetes or something you just wanted to do or what? What made you decide personal trainer is it? Well, it was, it was something that because I've been doing for so long, I just got good at it out of habit for a lot of it. So everything from exercising to eating reasonably well to all of the other stuff. I felt I had a bit of a handle 
on my health in a way that the average person didn't, despite my situation. And when I, when I was a tennis coach and I was at university, I, we had this whole talk on physical fitness and exercise, which was what got me wanting to do the personal training out of a, a sense of, imagine if we could do both. Imagine how much I could help people that wanted to play tennis, but wanted to be like really good because physical fitness became like one of the cornerstones of getting better at the sport. So then I thought, well, what if I did both? What if I didn't just help people with their tennis? I also helped them physically as well. And then over time, I realized just how hard it was to do both. You know, most clubs don't really sort of hire one person to do everything for the players. There's like a person and then there's a a coach, sort of tennis related person. So when I realized just how hard it was to get in that space as, as a single person, not like a team of people, it was kind of like, well, the fitness feels like it's a bigger problem for people than tennis. It seems like a bit of a challenge for them, right? And um, I'm a bit of a glutton for a challenge. I like a challenge. So okay, I, I decided to take that on. I was like, I'll do this then. So I started my own classes, um, which did, again, reasonably well. Um, I was able to take that into the commercial gym that I worked at, and then it all sort of spiraled from there. Wow. Okay. So you are also a public speaker. When did that begin? Actually, as soon as my clients found out that I had these conditions and I got a little bit of local press because of it, um, my, my friends were sort of like, well, you, you really never know. Like, it, it is entertaining. It is interesting. It is inspirational. You just never know. And you'd be surprised at what can happen if you just try and put yourself out there. Just do it and see what happens. You know, it's, it's no skin off your nose if it's a no at this point. Um, you're sharing your story. That's all you're doing. So I was fortunate to be in like, local magazines and my clients read the magazines and then they were like, is this you? I was like, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. And they were like, I had no idea that you had this. And they read the whole thing and they were saying how inspirational it was. And back in my mind, I just thought, well, I had no idea this was the case. I was just doing my thing, you know? It's like, it's never, it's never sort of looked upon as I'm doing this in the hope that I'm an inspiration to others. When you're, right. you're, when you're living it, you just don't know. So at that point, I was like, well, uh, Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I kind of brushed it off because I was just doing it. I wasn't thinking of how amazing it is. I was just doing it to survive and get by and do well physically. That, that was pretty much it. And it was at that point when I thought, well, maybe I can just try it. Maybe I'll just see what happens, see how it goes. I was lucky enough to find a local event that I could get to, a maximum like 100 people at the time. So it wasn't like a massive, huge event. And I thought, well, I'll try it. I'll give it a go. And the first time I did it, it was horrible. <laughs> I, wasn't, I, okay. wasn't, I wasn't really uh, enthusiastic about it because I was, I was scared, to put it uh, bluntly, I suppose. It, All right. it was, Which is to be expected. 
yeah, I mean, it's one of the most common fears that people have, I guess. But like I share in, in the book that I wrote sort of years on about like having to convince myself that when my name got called out to actually get up off the chair and walk up the stairs onto the stage. And I talk about how like heavy my legs were and how I had to convince myself to put one foot in front of the other just to walk up the stage, walk up the stage, walk up the stairs. And it's that that I want to share for a couple of reasons. The first thing is so many people look at the best in the business and think that they're amazing all the time. Right, right perfect the first time they did it they just got on there and rocked the stage and walk off because no one sees that no one sees the the struggles that people go through and in essence i want to let people know that you can do it even though you're scared of it it's like you're scared of heights but you still go up to the tall buildings right it's kind of that sort of scenario whereby I, I acted scared the whole time. You know, I, I did the whole mm. area. I was shaking. I don't even remember what I said once I actually got onto the stage. I don't remember what I said. If you ask me questions about it now, I couldn't tell you what it was. And the only thing that got me on stage again was the fact that the, sh- the actual talk was recorded. And a few of my friends and my audience that I already had established at the time, they wanted to watch it. And despite my uh, reluctance, I guess, I decided that I would just do it. I'd just see what they thought, and <clears throat> that would determine whether or not it was actually good or not. And I got good feedback from it. They said they couldn't tell I was nervous, which surprised me. And it convinced me that maybe it wasn't as bad as what I was making it out to be. And that, that was a lesson that is repeated often. Even to my even to my sort of standard today, very often, how big I make it inside my own head is nothing compared to what actually happens. It's always bigger inside my head, always. And mm-hmm. once I realised that, I got on stage again, and it felt more aligned, I guess, with the actual result. You know, like the, it's not as emotional. Therefore, you can feel a bit more realistic in the situation right it's a bit more aligned with the situation rather than oh my god then it's just not that bad at all so i think that when when that started to happen for me i started to realize that maybe i could do it maybe i am good enough as i am to sort of achieve what i wanted to achieve because it's a big difference between being good enough sort of as a baseline level, you know, the whole self-esteem thing of just being good enough in yourself. Right, right. That's it. It's almost like, it's weird when, you know, you hear people say, oh, well, I love you just as you are and you don't have to change. And Yeah. <laughs> that, that's fine. But if you've got things that you want to do and you've not got the ability to do them yet, that's separate from your value as a person. There's nothing wrong in having things you want to improve on. Having parts of yourself that you want to change doesn't stop you from not being good enough already. It's kind of like you've got to live in that contradiction to be okay with it. You know, you've got to live in the... Mm -hmm. And yet there are still things over here 
that I need to do with my life, you know, the sort of the calling, if you will, that I've never done before. So I'm going to question it. I'm going to wonder if I'm good enough. I'm going to have to learn new skills. And you've got to accept that while also feeling good enough at the same time. And that was a battle that I had to go through, you know? I don't think very many people realize that, like you said, in other words, there's this thing of, you know, the person speaking, the person going through all of this has fears and, 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 and issues too. And is possibly thinking, how the heck am I going to get through this? You know, and, and a lot of times, like you said, they make it seem so easy. So, okay. I have another question though. How long from your first speaking engagement did you go to your next one? And then how far along did the book come? Well, the, the timeline between first and second was about three months. So I also didn't have the, the sort of building the habit element either. Because a lot of people are amazing because they've done it so many times. Then you've right, got people right. good at it because they're comfortable in the situation that they're in. Then you've got people that are good at it just because they've worked at the scale of it. They're still nervous. They're still full of fear and anxiousness and all those things. But because they know how to speak, they've like trained themselves on how to do it, they can carry it off. So there's lots of mm. different things at play when it comes to being good at something now the thing that kind of stuck for me was I didn't have the repetition so I wasn't on stage every week right three months came along and I had this bigger event and I was amazing because then you could put that down to repetition right you could put that down to just doing it so often that it works out because you did it so much right right fear of it goes away and you can just step on stage and just do your thing now while i did i did videos to sort of help me prepare for it i started speaking on camera which if you've ever spoken on stage before you know that the only thing that actually helps you with is the speaking is the right as soon as you get on stage it's it's like 10,000 times as stressful as a video yeah it is so I, I was sat there I thought, okay, I'll do loads of videos it'll be fine I'll be speaking it'll be cool and then when I walked on stage all of the videos that I'd ever done just melted away it just, they just disappeared I was like oh my god it was all pointless it didn't make any difference whatsoever I was still hopeless it still wasn't good enough which showed me that, A, I got better because I did the work on myself more than I was on stage the whole time. Because you can carry Mm. on if you've done it enough. Right, right. The thing that sort of dawned on me as well was that was enough for me to actually feel like I was good at it. Meaning, again, you go from being comfortable in the situation to being confident in the situation, to then being competent at it. Now, if you're too emotional, you can't think about the actual skill of the thing. It's like trying to drive for the first time. You're not bothered about everybody else. You're trying to make sure that you're safe. That's why learner drivers don't suddenly go on the motorway because they've got too much to think about already. 
Where do they put their feet? Where do they put their hands? Where are they looking? Where do the mirrors go? Where do, when do I indicate? There's so much going on that if you're on a motorway, you've then got cars flying past all the time and you can't do all of that all at once. It's the same thing with emotions. If you're too busy focusing on the emotions of the situation, you can't focus on like telling your story well or do I pause now? Am I talking too quickly? You can't do that because you're too busy dealing with the fact that you're on stage in front of loads of people. Your heart is going a mile a minute and you can't control your breathing. How do you do all of those things at once? You can't do it. Right, right. Whereas when the emotions started to drop down and I started to feel comfortable again, I started to realize that my sort of values and my best version of myself that's where confidence is. And I started to shine through, meaning I was able to be on stage and be myself in the situation that I was in. So you go from being comfortable to being confident, AKA yourself. So you don't have to like try to please everybody on stage and all those things. Then I was able to start to focus on the speaking element. I've not been on stage massively since then, but I know that if I was to do it again, because I'm comfortable in the situation, because I know who I am and I know how I speak and how I come across, I can do that on stage and then I can actually focus on the actual skill of the thing. That's where people get to, but if they're uncomfortable, you're not even, you're not focusing on like being clear with how you sound. You're not focusing on mic placement and all that stuff your brain's like oh my god i'm actually on stage this is how this is terrible i can't breathe this is outrageous. my heart's pounding can't feel my feet what's going on you're not bothered about is your mic in the right place so that's where repetition helps but then you've got to get to a stage whereby you can actually improve the skill of the thing Mm, okay okay that is true that is true So, okay, how long after that did the book come? Well, it was a few years, actually, because the speaking part, while that's big for introverts like me, while that was a big thing, I still never really adopted the fact that I was a speaker. So that was more like a test. That was, can I do this? If I had to speak on stage, if I ever wanted to become a speaker, can I do it? Do I actually have the ability to do it? Because some people don't. Some people, it's not for them. Some people, they just don't want to do it. It's not something they're ever going to get good at and they don't want to get good at. But that was my test. That was my let's find out. And it was after the third time where I felt more, not at home on stage, the wrong word, but it was when I started to feel like I actually came off the stage feeling good. It took three times and it was only on the third time when I came off feeling energized afterwards. I came off feeling like I did an okay job. I knew what I was doing. I'd rehearsed if my timing was okay. And I came off thinking, yeah, I think I reckon I could do this. And 
that that's something that I would never have gotten to if I'd stopped at the third the first time, which was horrific. The, th the first time was horrible. If I'd have said, "All right, I'm not doing that anymore. I was bad. That was horrible. Don't want to do that anymore." I wouldn't have got to that space where it felt good to do it. And I think that that is another thing that happens again with things like, like when when I was on. TV as well. I was on TV. That was horrible. I didn't really enjoy half of that. Um, it, it was all a sense of if I can do it, other people can do it. But I felt this responsibility of I need to be able to do these things to share what it was like, share how it felt, share the mindset work that I needed to do just to get into those situations. And that allows me to help other people better because at the time right. was sort of big on personal development mindset improving like psychology and how we work and all those things that was one of the things i focused on in terms of my coaching work but i felt that i'd be in a better position to help others if i'd gone through it myself not just read about it but actually lived it as well and I think that's something that most people don't get is there's a difference between someone that can tell you, okay, you know what, this is the process. This is how you do it. As opposed to someone that says, you know what, I've been there. Okay. You may not know where to start, but let me give you what helped me. And, and I think that is so, so awesome. So honestly, I have to say thank you for that because that is something that, you know, we always see the finished product. We always see, you know, all the glamour, the glitz, the, the, you know, after the muscles are made, after the weight is lost, after all of it. And we don't ever see, you know, hey, how many times did you get up and quit? How many times were you unsure of yourself? So, yeah. So I had to honestly have to say thank you for that. Yeah, it's a real, um, I don't want to say it, it's a burden, I suppose, but in the initial stages, it wasn't easy. You know, I, I had to do it understanding that I'll be able to relate to people a whole lot more because of it. And that, that doesn't mean I don't know things that didn't work for me. Right. Somebody else, but it gives me a sense of... There's a difference between like knowing yourself, being confident, having reasonably high self-esteem and self-worth generally. And then it's the situational stuff, you know, so it's sort of, I think it was, um, I can't remember his name now. It, it was a boxer that said that everyone's got a plan until they're hit in the face. Right. So, right. Great. Like, I was like, probably an extremely zen person because I was never put in these situations. It was like, oh, mm. I'm so like anti-stress. I've got so much control over my life. Everything's amazing. Everything's predictable. Great, right? I had health conditions. I was still semi-dependent on people to help me as well. So at that stage in my life, having that was amazing. That's why I got so good and so healthy and so productive and so like, let's do this thing was because I had all of that. 
people then put me in a stressful situation, I still don't know how to deal with it in the moment because I'd never been in that situation before. Uh. So it's like you're almost like, it's amazing when you're a zoo animal, right? Everything's done for you. No stressful situations. It's amazing. You're kept nice and safe. But if that animal goes out into the wild, he's going to struggle. So a big part of this is about conditioning and testing myself and challenging myself and putting myself in situations whereby I had to practice what I preached. There's no point in being a mindset coach if you've never done anything because you don't, you don't know what works. You don't know what situations to be in. You don't know what it's like to think positive when everything around you is negative. You don't know what it's like for that to be the very last thing you want to do. If you're feeling negative, the last thing you want to do is hear, read a book that says think positively. Right, right. In other words, we, in other words, what you're saying is we want everyone to join our pity party as opposed to go, you know, you don't, you don't want it because it's easier to sink into our funk. And, and, and I think that's really what it is. So the la- like you said, the last thing you want is, you know what, it's going to be okay here. Think, just think positive and everything will be fine. You know, that's not what you want to hear at that moment. No, and part of the part of this sort of journey that I've been on has been about that. It's been about everything's great, but then when things aren't so great, then what do you do? You know, a real mm. people is what do you do when you're stressed out? It's okay to be stressed out, but you've got to train yourself to still be you even when you're stressed out. Right, right. That is so true. So, okay, really quickly. Now, you have done so great with all of this. And recently, we have just been able, or should I say part of the world has been able to come into the out, as I say. Um, How has this whole experience over the past few months affected you and your business and your speaking? Well, fortunately, the, the speaking, I was always going to take it virtual just because of the, the level of access that I wanted versus what was out there for people that were new to the speaking gate. Okay. Me, unless you're established, unless you're on the circuit, unless you're able to travel and speak for free, i.e. heavy investment into the game that is speaking – it's very rare for someone to get the opportunities. Now, I know people that actually pay to speak. They're not paid. They have to pay. Oh, and- wait, 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 wait. People have to pay someone else so that they can speak at their events? Sometimes, yeah. It's, wow. It's almost, like, um, it's almost like advertising and promotion. They, they bring in the audience. Okay. You, you go in there to speak. Not everybody... But, I mean, there's paid in terms of getting there. If you want to speak in a different country because the event's available, they'll give you a spot, but you've got to get there. You've got to pay for your flights, your accommodation, your food. Then there's learnings. So it's it's a heavy investment for someone (coughs) that's reasonably new to the game that wants to do amazing things with it. You can do all the small places if you want to. You know, places that are looking for speakers all the time, 
they will probably just say yeah. But it depends on what level you want to play at and how you want to be seen in the speaking game. Now, for me, I knew that was going to be tough. I knew I didn't have any experience. I didn't have any like signature talks, you know, the things that you always talk about. I didn't have any of that. So right. that it was going to be podcasts, virtual events, virtual summits, hosting my own virtual events as well. You know, it's like the people that host the parties turn into the cool kids, right? So you start doing your own <laughs> stuff instead of couples. And you start to learn all of that and learn how the online world is changing. It's changed. And the whole situation with the virus essentially has helped people understand that the virtual is the way to go. You see lots of events now kitting out studios to cater for virtual audiences. And these are people that have like 20,000 attendees for an offline event. They're now investing heavily into the virtual side. Right. So you actually had a leg up on that. Yeah. I mean, things like summits and podcasts like this one and like virtual things and YouTube shows. And I knew from day one that was going to be how I was going to do it. Okay. So you had a plan and a goal. I love that. So, Michael, would you please tell everyone where they can find you, your resources, and your book? The best place to find me is on social media. So I'm at the Michael Bryan on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I also have a podcast, which is the Ask Mike Show, which is wherever you, you get your podcasts. Um, my book, you can join the waiting list for the book. So right now, the working title is Introverts in the Spotlight, but that's probably going to change over time. So if you want access to the book when it comes out, you get a whole b- bunch of like goodies and resources and there's competitions and giveaways for those that buy the book and, and leave reviews and things of that nature as well. So I love getting involved with things like this. And it's, it's a weird link because I wanted to make sure that it's easy to, to sort of spell, if you will. But in a nutshell, it's, it's a bitly link. So it's bit.ly and then forward slash Michael Bryan book. But I'm sure we'll, we'll have a link somewhere for you guys to join the waiting list right. out mid-November. So guys, as you know, all of his information will be in the show notes. So you don't, won't miss it. Don't worry. You know, if the bit.ly link is a bit strange to you, trust me, it works. <laughs> but Michael, thank you so, so much. My pleasure. It's been great. To come on. Thank you. Thank you. Michael just told us all what we really need to do. So make sure you're checking out his website and all of his resources so you can get the amazing things that he has. But as always, guys, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and happy shopping. Hey, this is P. Perkins Heard from the Trap Life Podcast, and you are listening to the CQP Moments Podcast. Remember to subscribe, share, and enjoy.